This is Michael Campbell. You're listening to Money Talks. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment, meaning you get paid first. There are no fees attached with it, and it's in the tech field. So for more information, go to soleraclub.com. As President Obama and the Legion of Anti-Pipeline Opponents celebrate the loss of, what, 42,000 construction jobs with the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline, they're jetting off to the latest climate summit in Paris, spewing CO2 all the way as they jump into diesel and gasoline-powered limo and taxis on their way to five-star hotels that are heated by nuclear power and oil. What's incredible is that many Keystone opponents paint themselves as protector of the middle-class worker, yet never mention the great-paying middle-class job losses with the cancellation of Keystone. But that's nothing new. You won't find a single time when resource opponents mention the hundreds of thousands of people who would lose their job if they're successful in shutting down resource development. No talk of the devastation to resource communities. The indifference of groups like, well, Vision Vancouver, the BC Nurses Union, the anti-oil faculty members across the country, including UBC, SFU, the Legion of Environmental Group, oozes a profoundly ugly elitism which manifests as a disregard for people who don't qualify to run in their progressive circles at the faculty lounge or city council chambers or the insular world of public sector union bosses. No, I can't think of anything more devastating for a family outside of a serious health or abuse issue than losing the main breadwinner's job. The feeling of vulnerability, of helplessness, at times failure, is not trivial, but that's exactly how the job losses in the resource industry are treated by the likes of the anti-pipeline, anti-resource crowd. If it wasn't, they'd actually talk about them once in a while. You know, Alberta just lost 11,000 jobs in October. These are real people, real families, many of which will suffer. And they are not irrelevant to me. I will not ignore them. The question is, will you? There's a widespread agreement that the Keystone XL was just a symbol. No one's suggesting that it's going to alter CO2 emissions, even a fraction. In fact, according to President Obama's own State Department, the cancellation is going to result in significantly higher CO2 emissions as the oil is transported by rail. But that symbolism costs 42,000 construction jobs. You know, I read a much-circulated article by climate advocate David Roberts in Vox magazine, which compared the Keystone XL protesters with Rosa Parks. What's worse is I read several Canadian academics who applauded it. I mean, are you kidding me? What Rosa Parks did required an unfathomable degree of courage. At the time, civil rights activists were being murdered. Rosa Parks' refusal to give up her seat on the bus took phenomenal courage. What's courageous about driving your car, taking a diesel-powered bus or jet-fueled plane to a protest with a group of like-minded individuals? Not absolutely within their rights. But come on, not a single death threat or death of one protesting greeted Keystone Pipeline protesters who stood with a lot of like-minded people. Not one, nobody lost a job because of Rosa Parks' protest for black rights. That comparison of Keystone protesters to Rosa Parks is an insult to courageous civil rights advocates like Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. It's delusional, and yet it's applauded. Maybe not a surprise given the self-serving rhetoric and blatant hypocrisy that characterizes way too much of the climate change agenda. So go ahead. High five. Do it in Europe. At the 24th annual Do Nothing, Accomplish Nothing Climate Summit, while the majority of the public marks yet another hypocrisy fest. City lights aren't going to go dark. They're not going to. They're still light the Christmas tree in Times Square. Elites like Hillary Clinton and Al Gore, along with celebrity climate change advocates, in search of being taken seriously, will take their private jets. They'll still stay in grandiose hotels, ride in the limousines. 
People like Vox's Roberts would say, I don't get it. I don't understand how important symbolism is. Well, I say back at them, what guys like Roberts don't understand, the environmentalists and Canadian academics and other elites who applauded this celebration of Keystone as symbolism, they don't get that this is precisely the type of don't do as I do, do as I say elitism that stressed Donald Trump and Ben Carson and other anti-establishment to the political forefront in the U.S. It's fueled the no side in Vancouver's transit referendum and is behind the push to oust political elites throughout the Western world. And it's the reason why, despite massive amounts of money, the full weight of the Obama administration, big environment, university, supportive media, like the New York Times, that the polls make it very clear the public is suspicious of the climate change agenda. It's because of that level of hypocrisy. It seems like an awful lot of people, including me, have adopted the attitude of Glenn, Glenn Reynolds. He's a creator of Instapundit, very popular on the Internet. And he said, in quotes, I'll believe it's a crisis when the people who keep telling me it's a crisis start acting like it's a crisis, instead of just filling their pockets, Al Gore, and their egos at the expense of others. That's just another way of saying enough of the symbolism, enough of the international climate fest. The whole key is to start taking personal action. Michael Levy coming up with the top three stories that smart people are talking about. Plus, Tyler Bullhorn, stock scores, has got my big fat idea this week. Remember, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. For more information, find Solera Club at soleraclub.com. Also, looking forward to got a big guest plan for you at 9 o'clock, or at the top of the hour, rather. Stay with us for that on Money Talks Across the Chorus Radio Network. Looking forward to Paul Beattie coming up at the top of the hour. Also, my big fat idea, Tyler Bullhorn. Right now, though, Michael Levy's on the line with me. Top three stories that smart people are talking about. Let's get right at it, Mike. What's number three? So number three is Macy's, and by the way, Nordstrom, too. And investors don't know it's Christmas, Mike. It's just uh, quite an <laughs> unbelievable happening that we're experiencing. Well, isn't it incredible, Mike, that, I mean, it, yeah, you're just mentioning Macy's and Nordstrom, but come on, going back a month or two, we were talking Walmart and Target. I mean, this changing retail environment uh, it, being driven by everyone listening today is incredible. Mike, it is, and Macy's is facing a crisis. On Wednesday, the company said sales declined 5.2%. That's way worse than what, uh, than what analysts thought, and there's piles of unsold goods, and they also warned it expects comparable sales this fiscal year to decline. I mean, this is one of the venerable, old, successful department stores, Mike. Yeah, let me tell you a quick story. My wife was shopping at Macy's this past week in New York. Okay, so it was a, just talking about unsold goods. So it was 50% off, okay? Then that day, it was another 30% off of that. But wait, if she signed up for a Macy's credit card, it was another 20%. I told her, why didn't you just hang around the store? They'll pay you to take it out soon. And, Mike, doesn't it just feel like that? And the big surprise, besides for Macy, was Nordstrom's and shares of that upscale department store, which just opened a flagship store in Vancouver and has now got three stores in Canada. Their store sales plummeted 15, or their, sorry, their stock plummeted 15% on Friday, the worst decline mm. since 2000, and their shares are now down 34%. This year, so it's not just Macy's or Nordstrom's or Target or Walmart. I mean, this is endemic throughout the industry. And if I might, Mike, very quickly, I think the CEO, uh, Terry Lundgren of Macy's, put it quite succinctly. He noted that while consumer spending seems healthy, many shoppers are buying goods and services that department stores don't carry, you think, such as cars, electronic gadgets, 
and home improvement items. Mike, this is a sea change. Yeah, this is one of those stories, you know, in the old days in the movies, used to go in the 1940s or 50s, and they always put at the end, to be continued. Obviously, with that, when you talk about retail. What's your number two story? Well, number two is America's education by bubble. And, Mike, we've talked about this before, but it's just back in the news again. Well, I mean, this is a huge problem. I mean, the debt bubble there, uh, you know, people don't appreciate that the size of the debt is bigger than the Canadian federal debt when you talk about student loans in the States. Oh, Mike, it sure is. It now stands at $1.2 trillion. And, Mike, more than 60% of that, which, uh, or that debt, is held by the bottom quartile of households. Listen to this. 60% is held with households with net worth of less than $8,500. Here's a little unknown fact. Uh, the gift of Hillary Clinton previously was to uh, not have that discharged by bankruptcy. So if one of those people goes bankrupt, hey, the student debt lives on, which is just devastating to some people. Yeah, that statistic should have been my shocking stat, 60% of that entire $1.2 held by people you know, with a net worth less than 8500 Wow. Well, Mike, let me just leave you with one thought on this. And can we compare this with the U.S. government attempt to expand home ownership, like they're trying to expand secondary education? Mm -hmm. Can we compare that with Chinese government attempt at greater stock market participation? Uh, Mike, this is something that governments practice and in a lot of cases comes back to bite them and bite the economy and the whole country in which it is done really big time well that other stat uh, you were sharing this week uh, with me that 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 uh, seven out of ten post-secondary students graduate with debt that is greater than credit and auto loans combined unbelievable what's the number one story well number one story mike is uh, i think just i mean it's just it's going to be it's going to play out to be the number one story for months if not years ahead the parliamentary budget office report puts Justin Trudeau in a bind, and Mike, it's got to do with deficit, deficit financing for infrastructure, but structural deficits by the Canadian government. Yeah, I mean, it's just yet another example. We had the Bank of Canada, what, two weeks ago, Mike, downgrade their forecast for 15, 16, and 17. Here we got the same thing out of the Parliamentary Budget Office. I think every major financial institution has underestimated the impact and the ripple effect of this decline in resources led by oil. And, Mike, this is nonpartisan. The Parliamentary Budget Office doesn't work for any party. It doesn't work for the opposition or for the government. It works for Parliament, and they are now estimating that the government's going to face deficits in the neighborhood of 3 to $5 billion annually for the next five years. That's so much higher than what was forecast six months ago, and here we have now the government saying they want to spend a deficit of $25 billion over the next three years and balance the budget by 219. Mike, the numbers don't add up, and you don't have to put on a political hat. All you have to no. do is put on a math or economic hat to say that you can't square this circle. Yeah, and as I say, continued downgrade of uh, economic growth throughout the Western world, but in Canada, reflecting on government revenues. Yeah, tough times. We'll have to see how this one plays out. That's a cheerful note to finish on, Mike. Thanks so much. 
Oh, you're welcome, Mike. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> Michael Levy joins me every week for Top 3 Stories. Hey, coming up, I've got my big fat idea for you as an investor. Tyler Bullhorn is with me. Stock score. Stay with us. We'll give you that in a moment. Looking forward to talking to Paul Beatty, BT Global Growth Fund. Boy, those guys have had a double-digit return since their inception, a five-star rating. Uh, we'll talk with him about what's going on in these markets. But right now, very pleased to welcome back to the show, I've got the head guy from StockScores. Tyler Bullhorn is with me, StockScores.ca. Tyler, it's my big, fat idea, and I can't think of anyone better to ask about it. So what specific idea are you working on? Good morning, Mike. Well, the idea that I have for this week is maybe a little different than normal. It's to make a trade on the U.S. stock market going down. There's some inverse exchange-traded funds that are really the best way to do this. There's, there's many different ones, but two or three that I want to highlight this week is the S&P 500 ETF, symbol SH. There's a leveraged version of that, symbol SDS. And then in Canada, if you want to keep your trade in Canadian dollars, there's something called the uh, VIX inverse ETF, T.HVU, uh, three to consider this week. So the bottom line is what you're doing is you don't have to worry about the mechanics, particularly in this. I mean, you talk to your stockbroker, you do it with, uh, uh, you know, uh, Disnat, that kind of stuff online yourself. But, I mean, bottom line is you're saying, hey, you expect the U.S. stock market to drop and you want to profit by it. That's right. You know, we've had a, a big run higher. And in August, September, we had that market correction and everybody was panicked and talked about all the negativity in the market. At the time that that happened, I warned that we'll typically get a bounce-back rally after those type of corrections. And what you want to watch for is if there is a falling top that forms on the chart. And that's what we got this past week. We had that six-week rally. Many investors forgot all about the negatives that were top of mind in August. Well, the negative now is that we got that falling top pattern on the S&P 500. And that's a pretty strong sign that there is further weakness ahead. You know, you think about all the stories the global economic weakness, high government debt, expectations for rising U.S. rates, rising U.S. dollar. There's $9.6 trillion in U.S. dollar-denominated foreign debt. And then you add to that deflation. So there's a lot of reasons to be bearish, but the reason that stands out most for me is simply that the sellers went back to uh, taking control of the market last week. And those bearish facts coupled with a bearish chart make some of these ETFs a good protection for investors against more market weakness. Yeah, I thought it looked real nasty on the closes, you know, Thursday, Friday, kind of, uh, when you look at those U.S. markets. Um, let me just come back to those, and you're talking about some symbols there, SH, SDS, and, and then uh, T, uh, well, it's HVU is the symbol, sorry, HVU. But, okay, so who is this appropriate for? Is this kind of a trader deal, an aggressive growth? Can you be conservative and do this? Well, it's really important to differentiate between these three ETFs. I think for the longer-term trader, and I, I say trader because uh, I don't think this is something you're going to hold for years, but looking out weeks or months, I would encourage people to look at the SH. It's a non-leveraged ETF that will go up if the S&P 500 goes down. If you have more of a trader approach, let's say you can monitor the market a little more closely, then consider the SDS or the HVU on the Toronto Exchange. SDS is that, a... That, that, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, because that's because it's leverage, is what you said earlier. So in other words, if let's say the Dow, I'm just picking a number, drops 5%, then this thing has a chance to drop 10% as an example. Well, it'll rise 10%, yes. I meant rise. Sorry, thank yeah. you. Correct me. And, and it's really important to understand that leveraged ETFs get rebalanced every day, and that's why they're not good long-term vehicles. You can be in and out of them within a couple of weeks and take advantage of the fact that 
markets tend to take the stairs up and the elevator down. The corrections tend to be pretty fast. Um, but you don't want to hold them long-term because there's some decay in the value that occurs in those leveraged ETFs. And that's why if you're a longer-term outlook, not going to watch the market as closely, I would look at the SH. Let's come back to, again, that, that time frame kind of deal, because uh, I really like what you're saying that, you know, I mean, things aren't straight line, but maybe initially you get that sort of quick straight line move, because it seems to me, at least, Tyler, that things go down kind of faster than they go up, you know, as a general rule. Yeah, I mean, the correction we had in August only was three or four weeks long. Now, we do have a risk of breaking the long-term upward trend that has been in place since 2009, really, but more since 2011. And that uh, would be on the S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A break below 190, you've got to be concerned that we are actually going into a long-term bear market. Mm -hmm. What I'm talking about today is sort of a correction inside the bull market, but we're in a yep. very real risk of that turning into a bear market. Well, the other thing I just want to let people know is that uh, Tyler's agreed to go further with this uh, in a webinar. It's going to start uh, at the end of the show, right at the end of this show, wherever you're listening from. Uh, you know, so that's uh, noon in Calgary and Edmonton, back in the West Coast, it's 11 a.m., etc. And well, There's only 500 people when you do that kind of webinar deal. But all you have to do is go to the Money Talks website, and you can sign up, stockscores.com webinar. And as I say, that's going to start right at the end of the show. But Tyler's going to have a chance to explain this and many other things. Always a, a great has a tremendous ability of explaining kind of timing in the market and the way he finds these kinds of things. So, Tyler, I look forward to that. That's coming up at the end of the show. But in the meantime, thank you for the big fat idea of the week. Thanks, Mike, and have a great weekend. That's stockscores.com. And, again, go at the end of the show right away. Uh, where, wherever you're listening from, but there's only a 500 maximum uh, for this, and it's absolutely free, but Tyler will be there with that. I'm going to take a break. Paul Beattie's going to be with me. Just a reminder, though, World Outlook Conference, hey, we're in the last, well, today. Uh, last year we sold out, which was terrific, but today ends the early bird pricing. Um, the date's January 29th. That's a Friday evening, and Saturday, September 30th. It's out in Vancouver at the Western Bayshore. And look, this is one of the things I noticed. Man, did we ever get a good hotel rate this year? So wherever you're traveling from, it's the best rate they've ever given us there. Plus, doesn't doesn't matter. You get your $1,700 worth of bonuses, uh, you know, for any VIP ticket purchaser. It sold out last year. Obviously, we love to see people there. Something new again this year, though. Uh, Friday afternoon. I think it's starting at like 1 or something, 1 or 2. We'll give you the details. Hey, Ozzy Jurek is hosting a monster real estate uh, kind of broad-based seminar with lots of great stuff there on the real estate side of things and then the conference. So it's all good, all coming your way. Again, last day for the early bird price is why I'm bringing it up. Just go to moneytalks.net and click on the events tag there. Take a break. Come back. Paul Beatty. going to be great. <laughs> 